and welcome back to the season two of the Honor and Leading podcast. And I'm excited to kick off the season with my dear friend, Connor Beaton, who has been at the forefront of creating really effective online men's groups, as well as in-person men's groups, really getting at the heart of the matter of what, what drives uh, male dysfunction and relationship and just in life in general, uh, brings a real insightful and compassionate uh, mind and heart to his work. And I really think you'll enjoy his insights and through his years of, of developing men's work. Uh, so without further ado, here's Connor Beaton. All right. Welcome, Connor Beaton. Thanks for coming, thank, coming on yeah. the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So well, why don't you just introduce yourself for, for the audience, what, what you do in the world and wh- how you, how you ended up doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, my name is Connor Beaton. I run a organization called man talks and man talks is really a, a organization for the betterment of men. And whether you're a man who's wanting to better himself as a father, as a husband, as a leader, um, we really focus in on developing community for men and helping them face their shadow, the unknown parts of themselves, parts of themselves that are usually causing sabotage. And really, it's about how do you as a man become self-led? I think there's something within our masculine core that desires um, that desires this move towards more autonomy, more sovereignty within ourselves. And a, a mentor of mine, Dewey Freeman, who's uh, the founder of the Gestalt Institute of the Rockies, says that health, psychological health, emotional health, physical health, is in your ability to choose. And I love that. I think that that frame is wonderful. And so what we do within the context of Man Talks is provide resources, courses, groups, where men can elevate their ability as a man to choose the direction that they want to take in their life, in their relationship, et cetera. So how I got into that is I was a man that felt like he didn't have much choice. Um, I was a man who was wildly out of control. I had built this wonderful life. I had a great career where I traveled the world. I had a wonderful relationship. And so from the, from the outside, I had done like the classic man thing, you know, which was build this wonderfully aesthetic life on the outside and behind the scenes internally in my internal world, I was a disaster. I felt completely out of, out of control, out of integrity, out of alignment. I was very unfaithful in all of my relationships, you know, not just my intimate ones, um, but I would say in my friendships as well, it was fraudulent because nobody really knew who I was. But specifically in my intimate relationships, I was unfaithful to almost all of the women that I was with. And that kind of came to a, a head in one relationship where, you know, she found out that I had been unfaithful and everything sort of collapsed. And, you know, I was I still had too much pride and too much ego to really admit what had been going on because I had become so adept at being the chameleon and talking my way out of any sort of scenario or or anything that I had done wrong. And so I I went and lived out of the back of the car for a few weeks uh, because I didn't want anybody in my life to know. I put all my stuff into storage and I just I lived out of the back of my car in Walmart parking lots and <laughs> down by the ocean because I was living in Victoria, just outside of uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. And eventually that way of being, 
you know, didn't work anymore. And I found myself obviously at a rock bottom. And it was from there where thankfully I had some good mentors. I had some good friends in my life. And so as I started to tell them what had been going on and started to reveal and become transparent about who who I actually was, the, the totality of it, the hidden parts of me, I started to reveal those. And uh, thankfully, I found a mentor and started to do some work. And he was trained in Jungian psychology. And so I started to learn quite a bit about Jung and his frameworks and the anima and the animus and the shadow and, you know, individuation and dream work and all these beautiful frameworks that I started to learn. Um, and that was that was probably about six years, maybe five years um, before I even started Man Talks. Uh, so I would go on to work for Apple and do a bunch of stuff before I would before I would start Man Talks. But yeah, that's what brought me into the work was really my own lostness, my own rock bottom, my own trying to find my way through the the world and make some sense of what it meant to be a man and what masculinity was. And all of those things sort of came to the forefront out of uh, my inability or my lack of ability, I should say, to choose the direction that I wanted to take myself in my life and my relationships. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, and in that, it, 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 you know, mentorship seems like such a key piece of it, right? Like you, you, you found a, a good fit in a mentor that really got, got you sort like got you pointed in the right direction and you, something in you lit up and said like this, like this mm -hmm. actually feels true or it might be hard, but it's going somewhere mm -hmm. viable or meaningful. Yeah, my his name was so his name was Bernard and he was in my life before um before my sort of rock bottom before my falling apart. And uh you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, I think I think in our society it's under we underestimate how important the role of a mentor can be okay. and the and the function that they were meant to serve in our lives. You know, and most men would have some form of a mentor previously and that man was generally an, an initiated man you know a man who had gone through certain initiatory trials in his life and had amassed a certain amount of wisdom through experience through lived experience and he could support the younger men in finding some direction and guidance through the the darkness of whatever they were facing and i feel like we've strip mined that out of our culture quite a bit you know, to the point where a lot of young men like myself, even though I had, you know, I had a father and a stepfather and you know, I had two moms and I had, you know, these sort of two individual families that I had bounced back and forth between. Even though I had two men in my life, I lacked real direct mentorship. And so when he came along, it was very interesting because it it did awaken a part of me that was curious and that was okay with being humbled you know because as a young man you know i was tall i was decent looking i i was in good shape i had a sizable ego and so for me to put myself in the position of the student to uh you know another man was was confronting i think that's the case for a lot of men but you know i remember him saying you know this is after the rock bottom i remember him saying to me you know connor sometimes it just takes somebody else to come along in your life and to believe in you more than you believe in yourself. 
And even though you can't see it right now, I believe in you more than you believe in you. And it was just such a, it was such a moving experience. I just remember, you know, breaking down because it was true. I didn't believe in myself. You know, I didn't have, uh, I had sort of built this facade, uh, this imposter facade to manufacture confidence and assuredness. And so it was nice to sort of feel that, uh, that sort of paternal mentorship in, in some ways that really changed quite a bit for me. Huge. Yeah. Pivotal moment. Yeah. Yeah. Pivotal relationship. Mm-hmm. And so you, as, as one does kind of naturally f- felt moved at some point to, to offer the same, right. To pay that forward and to step into that mentoring role for, for other men. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to say about that choice? Um, you know, I think it, it was sort of birthed out of conversations that I had with a lot of the men in my life where I had felt this vacancy of very depth-oriented, meaningful connections with other men in my life. You know, I knew a lot about them, but there were certain things that we just never really discussed or talked about. And that kind of came to a head when one of my close friends that I had gone to university with that I had known for quite a while. After I hit rock bottom, I sat down with him, you know, eventually and just sort of put all my cards out on the table and told him what had been going on and told him how I had been struggling and I had been cheating and, you know, I I was out of control and I was abusing alcohol and weed and porn. And, you know, I was really, I was, I mean, I was really in a, in a place. And, so I kind of verbally vomited everything that had been going on in my life for about half an hour to him. And after I was done, there was just this sort of moment of silence. And then he, you know, he got quite emotional and he proceeded to tell me that he, well, first he thanked me for being honest and open with him. And, and he said that my honesty had given him permission to share something that he thought he would take to the grave with him, which was that about a month and a half ago, a month and a half before this conversation, Uh, He had tried to take his life. He had tried to hang himself. And this was a man that I knew everything about, right? So I saw, or so I thought, right? He, I knew the type of scotch that he liked to drink. I knew the TV shows he liked to watch. I knew the type of women he liked to date. And yet there was this part of him that was completely unknown to me. And there was a part of me that was completely unknown to him. And I didn't like that. I didn't inherently like that. I thought, what is it about our masculine and male relationships that we feel the necessity to hide these really important aspects and elements of ourselves from the men around us? And I started to see that in so many of the men in my life that as I sort of came clean, I guess you could say, about my behavior and how I had been struggling, it became the sort of permission card for these other men to open up and start to give me insight into what was actually going on in their life behind, you know, the, behind the curtain, behind the rosy colored picture that they all painted about their marriages, about their businesses, you know, and I started to hear about the hardships of the men that I was closest with that I didn't know anything about. And that was striking to me, you know, and I, and I, as I started to 
talk with other men, that seemed to be a very common thing. And so I started to see that we have these, we predominantly have these very challenge, sorry, competition-based relationships as men where we are kind of inadvertently competing with one another, even if we're quite close and we are subconsciously competing Am I good enough? Am I? Do I make as much money as him? Am I as sexually, uh, you know, promiscuous as him? Am, am I potentially as, as good as him? And we're sort of sizing ourselves up to and comparing ourselves to the men that are around us. And because of that, that you know, competition naturally breeds a withholding. You know, when you're competing with somebody, the thing that you least want them to know are your weaknesses. And so even if it's an unconscious behavior that we are deploying as men, what starts to happen is that we withhold what might, what might make us be perceived as weak. And so we start to withhold our weaknesses from the men that are closest to us. And, and we might gripe and complain about our relationships and our marriages and you know what's happening at work with our boss, but we don't generally really open ourselves to the men around us and reveal the sort of soft underbelly of what's happening in our lives where we feel like a victim, where we feel hurt, where we feel utterly alone and hopeless and where our grief resides, where our sorrow lives. We, we generally don't allow other men into that room, into that vault within our hearts, our minds, our souls. And and so that became, I guess, in a long-winded way, that, that became the, the sort of th the thrust that pushed me towards the direction of wanting to do something about that. I just felt compelled to want to do something about that, um, obviously because of my own circumstances, but because I just con continued to see that same void within so many of the men that I knew. And yeah, I just, I guess I couldn't... I guess I just sort of felt this, like, I, I want to be in action about this. You know, I feel like there's, there's something to be done. Suddenly I found a, a purpose and a mission that felt worthy of my um, energy and focus and attention. And all of a sudden, everything in my life just started to sort of come together to move in that direction. It wasn't easy and there was a ton of work and there still is that happens in my life today. But that's, yeah, that's really what sort of put me on that path. Yeah. And does it, is it changing now in any way, in any significant way for you? Is, is the, is the, the culture of men changing you're in it, right? I mean, you're, we're, you're, you've now, you know, been in the, in the field of working, you know, working with men's relationship issues, emotional challenges for many years now. And like, is, is there anything significantly changing or kind of coming to the foray to you recently? Mm. I, I think that in some ways there is a larger, there's more permission for men to step into their own inner work, to reveal their inner kingdoms to the men that are around them. I think it's becoming more socially acceptable. I also think that there's this other side to it where vulnerability has become this very, you know, hot topic buzzword that a lot of men are getting caught in being maybe over vulnerable or too vulnerable and, and kind of sharing too much with with women especially because we as men tend to feel 
I think that most men tend to feel safer sharing their vulnerabilities with women first rather than sharing it with men. Again, because of what I said before, but a lot of other things. So I think that there's, I think the polarities within male culture are starting to become, you know, further apart just as social uh, social dynamics are doing the exact same thing. You see social dynamics, you know, the, the polarities within our societies right now are, are quite robust. Uh, and I think that that's happening within men as well. You know, you have men sort of returning to this maybe a little bit more archaic version of what it means to be a man and this sort of hyper stoic, uh, very vigilant, very almost like one dimensional of this is what a man is and this is what a man is not. And if you step over that line, you're weak, you're beta, you're all of these things. So you have like the MGTOW movement, the men going their own way, the red pill movement, you know, all of these are sort of this resurgence of an older style of masculinity that is coming in the face of, you know, feminism and third wave feminism and the reclamation of, of the feminine. And then I think you have a lot of men that are somewhere in the middle in there, you know, they're just trying to make sense of what does it even mean for me to be a man in 2021? What does that even in, entail? And what's expected of me? And so I think that there's a tremendous amount of confusion and question asking and curiosity. You know, you have figures like Jordan Peterson who have reached this sort of rock star like, uh, status and i think that that is happening in many ways because we we have lacked father figures significantly within our culture for quite some time and that that lack of of father figure has has really played into you know men starting to seek out what does it mean for me to be a man how do i be masculine is that okay you know i'm i'm reading these articles seeing these articles and comments online that all men are bad or horrible or they're just angry and how do i not be that but how do i also deal with my drive and my desire to be assertive and and to maybe be dominant in some ways and so I don't know if that answers your question necessarily. I think it's I think it's complex. You know, I think it depends on the man. I think it depends on his background, his religious upbringing, where he's located. You know, I, I think that there's there's so many different layers and complexities to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe I'll just leave that there and and see see where you want to take that. Yeah, I mean, I hear in that that there's a there's a lot of uh, confusion. Right. There's because there's a lot of it's like a I mean, my 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 building on what you, you just said would be that there's um there's a there's a cultural moment where we're in where it's just it just seems it's a it's like a an impl like is, is it an explosion or an implosion or a just mm -hmm. a like a, there's a lot of options, you know, mm -hmm. and and people can find themselves to different cultures that resonate for some reason or another and uh and stay with them for a bit until until they run their course and i don't know right i mean it gets into the whole unknowability of kind of cultural evolution mm. you know mm -hmm. and, and you're you're kind of waiting you're waiting i mean I, I i listen to your podcast love it and love the love the range uh you know you've had you've had jordan not yet. Uh, not yet. Not okay. yet. Okay. Not yet. You you spoke about him directly. I think. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I've been I've been called. 
I've been told that I'm similar in nature sometimes. I've been accused of being similar in nature. I've been complimented of being uh -huh. similar in nature, <laughs> but I haven't had the pleasure of speaking to him yet. But one day it's on the on the list. Yeah. Well, just to say, I mean, you're wait, you're waiting, you're waiting into it all. Like you're you're being honest. You're 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 to me, you're um you're modeling the humility, but also the um the 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 honest the uh, honesty or the like transparency this is what i'm thinking i'm open mm -hmm. to your you know i'm in i want to be in conversation mm -hmm. you know you're modeling that yeah well i think that there's a lot of i think that there's a lot of men looking for direction in our culture and i think that there's a number of reasons for that you know you see statistically less men graduating college than ever before there are more men living at home than ever before. You know, statistically, men before the age of 30, it's it's gone up to like 34% of men are living at home, you know, before the age of 30. I mean, that's, that's quite high. Uh, less men are having sex before the age of 30. So that's, I mean, that's gone up to like 28%. Right. So 28% before the age of 30 are not, are not being sexually engaged now. And so you, you have this shift culturally that's happening within men. That's, that's really quite substantial. And I mean, I don't know exactly what to make of it. I'm not saying that that's terrible or a problem or that, you know, something needs to be done about it or blaming it on anybody. I'm just sort of pointing to the data and the, the, what seems to be emerging is that men, in some ways are confused. It's like, what do I do? Where do I, where do I go? What am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? What, what's my mission? Where do I fit in culturally and, and socially? I'm being told that men should just step aside. Men should sit down. Men should, you know, do all these things. And so I think it leads a lot of men to a very dualistic way of, of thinking. And I think that there's, I think men are no different from women. I think that a lot of us as human beings are looking for certainty in this time of complete chaos and confusion and uncertainty. And so I think a lot of men go online, go onto the internet, and they find other men who are really certain, you know, who, who are really uh, entrenched in their certainty. And, and they get sold that, you know, they get sold this notion that if you do X, Y, and Z, if you act like X, Y, and Z, if you say X, Y, and Z, you'll be a man, you'll be a masculine one, and you'll be successful, and you'll be, you know, maybe you'll be fulfilled and happy. And, and that, that level of certainty is intoxicating, you know, because of course it is, because we don't, we generally have as men over indexed our rational mind and our rational mind hates uncertainty. It's always looking for the certain outcome. And so when you are being told and delivered certainty of how you should be a man and what a man looks like and how you should be as a husband, how you should be as a father, and, and people are selling you that then in many ways, that's comforting. You know, that's comforting. If you've been in the dark, you know, sure. you haven't really had a male figure in your life and you go online and somebody's telling you, you know, you need to act this way and you need to say these things. You need to never put up with this and don't do this and do that. It's like, oh, thank God. Somebody has, somebody's giving me direction. You know, there's, there's some coherence in my life now and I can do that. Um, and so, you know, with man talks, it's never been my mission to give men the certainty of what a man is and what a man should do or any of those things, but rather to evoke the questions that can help a man determine 
who it is he ultimately wants to be. So there's a there's a kind of self-choosing. And I can model what I believe that looks like. You know, I just did a, a mini episode about one of my favorite quotes by Albert Schweitzer. And he said, my life is my argument. And so I'm, I, in some ways, I'm just trying to make my life an argument about what a man could be, you know, and what that could look like. And it doesn't mean that it's the right one. It just means that that's the life that I'm trying to live. You know, this middle path, this middle way where I get to be open and, and expand myself to the uncertainties of current life and the feminine and relationships and my own shadow and dysfunction and all of those things and not need to cling to these sort of rigid ideological ways of being a man that often box us in to a very narrow, a very narrow one-dimensional way of living that can cut us off from the fullness that we that we inherently crave and the freedom that we inherently crave. You know, there's something contradictory about that hyper level of certainty for us as men. You know, so anyway, I just said a lot. I just feel like I turned on the firehouse. So I'm gonna, I love it. You know, I love it. it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you, you answer. I was about to ask. You know, after you painted the picture of the the, the sort of the 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 certainty option, you know, I was going to mm. say, well, what's the alternative? And you just kind of like float right into that, which is which is your best your best answer to that, right? Your um, it was it's through the community you've created, and then. I guess the follow up on that would be like, what, what are you, you know, what are you finding now? Like, I mean, in terms of it's a, it's a big task, right. To, to both allow for the individual expression of, of the, of whatever this man wants to be or, or thinks he wants to be and to, to experiment with that, to explore that. And at the same time, have a community around him that's like, Hey, you know, bro, like that's a little much or mm. like, I don't know about that. Right. It's, isn't it a, is to me in my, you know, men, in the men's groups I've been in, that's, that's the theme ongoingly, right? There's conformity and then there's just like kind of narcissistic, like craziness or mm. whatever, something on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is it, one of the things that we talk about quite a bit in the alliance is this concept of calling a man forward, and so the idea within the culture that I've tried to build is that that we as men surround ourselves with other men, where we intentionally build challenge-based relationships versus competitive-based relationships. So I'm not competing with you if you're, you know, a, a man that I meet with on a on a weekly basis. I'm not in competition with you. I remove that. Maybe sometimes we can compete just for fun, but we move into a more challenge-oriented way of being with one another where I can challenge you based on who you've told me you want to be. So if you say, I want to be a better father, a better husband, I want to drink less, you know, I want to drink less alcohol, I want to get into shape. If those are the things that you've told me you want to be as a man and some of the things that you want to do, then I can challenge you. I can hold you accountable to those things. I can be a mirror that reflects back to you where you might not be living up to your own standard. Because then it's less about me telling you how you should live, and it's more about this is how you've told me you want to be. And this is about how you've told me you want to live. And, you know, I put this post up on 
on Instagram the other day my, before my account got hacked and deleted, <laughs> which okay. which happened. Oh God! It's, hopefully, it's slowly coming back online. Um, but uh, I put this quote up online. I said, you know, male relationships thrive with accountability and die without it. And I and I feel like that's true based on my experience and what I've seen, you know, and when we allow other men to challenge us, when we trust another man, you know, we've built that rapport, we've, we've built that um, connection and we are connected to him and he challenges us or, you know, we challenge him. It allows for that relationship to flourish. And I think that a lot of men are craving that, you know, I think a lot of men feel disengaged culturally, socially, from school, from work, from most things, because they're just not being challenged in a healthy way. They're being told and confronted in a, in a maybe an unhealthy way of how they should be and how they should conform and what's wrong with them and what they shouldn't do. They're being shamed into how they should act and respond and what's not okay. But shame is not a as far as I know, and I could be wrong about this, but shame is not a behavioral tool that we necessarily want to use psychologically with people as an individual or a group. And shaming men is likely not going to yield the results that we want. So, yeah. So I think it's about accountability and and challenging one another and calling one another forward into who we've said that we've wanting who who we've said we want to be. And it's in that space as men that we start to find a, a deeper quality of connection within our male relationships, but also a deeper understanding of who we actually are as men. And it and it's and it is confronting and it is challenging. You know, it brings up a lot. You know, when another man challenges you and say, "Hey, you know, you told me that you don't want to drink so much, but I've noticed that you're on your fourth beer tonight. What's going on?" You know, are you, are you living up to who you said you wanted to be? Or, or can I call you forward on that and just point something out? And it's like, hmm, you know, that's, that's confronting because all of a sudden we are met with the reactivity that will naturally come up within us, but we're also met with somebody gives a shit enough about us to observe and to have what might be a very uncomfortable conversation. And my God, is that needed? Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like so mm-hmm. many men are just malnourished in uncomfortable conversations. You know, it's like, have more of those. Totally. You know, not the debate garbage online, not the arguments. Like, that's why, that's why it's happening. You know, the majority of men are online just keyboard warrioring because they are under undernourished underfed in confronting conversations and so they're seeking them out but they're just seeking them out in ways that are that don't do anything right they just go on rants and attack people's character and yeah right right they're protected in it right yeah 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 it doesn't actually change anything core to them really Mm -hmm. yeah so if if you could could you define shadow and then how it fits into what you're just describing because it's a big piece of it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this guy may say he wants to drink less, but there's 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 shadows at play here. And so how do you work with that? But but first, yeah, if you could define it, what shadow work is. And yeah. Well, shadow, I'll use Jung as the the sort of like standard for that. So uh shadow was a concept that Jung initially created. Carl Jung was a famous 
uh, psychologist, Swiss psychologist, psychoanalyst back in the early, earliest 20th century. And the shadow is really the parts of your psyche and your identity that you are unaware of, that you don't know about. So it's sort of the refuse bin of your identity. It's where you store your insecurities, your inferiorities, the parts of yourself that you don't want to be aware of, and the parts of yourself that you don't want others to be aware of. So, you know, these are these are the things that we we tend to hide from people. And all of that material, that psychological material, becomes the force that thwarts your best intentions, right? If you're wanting to start a new relationship with somebody that you really like, you know, you found yourself in a relationship, you're like, I really love this person. It's so great. The relationship's going so well. And you start to notice yourself becoming needy or becoming, you know, jealous or, uh, you know, just to choose, fill in the blank, right? We'll just say needy and jealous. That's your shadow coming out and sabotaging what it is that you have started to manifest and create in your life. I think Jung, I'll, I'll probably paraphrase this and it won't be exactly the quote, but he says your, your shadow becomes the unconscious contents that gets in the way and thwarts your most well-meaning intentions. So it is the psychological material of sabotage. It's what, it's what gets in the way. So when you want to create a new habit or a new behavior, if you want to, you know, shift your mindset about something in your life, your shadow is the part that gets in the way. And there's a number of ways that you can see your shadow um, and begin to work with it. But maybe I'll just pause there to see if you have any other other questions about what it actually is. Well, so what does it look like with, so, I mean, I can make up a story because, you know, I haven't worked with men in this way, but I'm curious, like, where you would go with it, like the the shadow that play say in the, in the guy that's, you know, one part of him saying like the deeper intention, as you say, is the, the, is I want to, I want to drink less. I want to be healthier. And then meanwhile, he's continuing to engage in those behaviors that, that aren't in alignment with that. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there's some direct questions that you can ask him in terms of, you know, what does drinking mean to you? When do you use it? How do you feel when you drink? And that'll start to give you some information about what's actually going on for that man in the moment. And and then are there's there's more, how do I want to say this? The interesting part about working with the shadow is that it's unconscious, right? You're working with unconscious content. So the person's not really aware of why they're doing that. So if you just ask a direct question like, why do you drink? they might conjure something up just to answer the question, but they're not going to give you the real reason. And so we're doing shadow work in this instant would be about exploring his unconscious content. It would be about exploring what, what might he be hiding behind the scenes about why he's drinking, right? Maybe he's an individual who drinks when he feels alone, for example, and he's extremely lonely, but he hasn't actually told anybody that he's lonely. And so he's actually not, the the drinking is just a coping mechanism for his loneliness it's the it's the externalized um mechanism that you can see and what's hidden is the loneliness what's hidden is the shame you know of the childhood sexual abuse that he may have experienced and hasn't actually revealed and so in order to really understand that behavior you start you have to start to kind of uh 
ask questions to navigate what that individual might be hiding. And there's a there's a number of ways you can do that. I use um, sentence stems, which I think you do as well, and internal family systems um, to kind of get into what's going on. Jung used psychoanalysis, which is a little bit more of a complex tool. Um, but he was very, I mean, he created the concept. So he was very good at just being able to see someone's inherent shadow uh, and and provoking it. You know, sometimes you can provoke the shadow by pointing, you know, some like, let's just say that this man is continuing to say like, oh, I, I you know, I really want to stop drinking. I really want to stop drinking. Like I've been trying to stop drinking for a long time. And depending on your relationship with that individual, uh, you might provoke the shadow by saying, I don't believe you. I actually don't believe that you want to stop drinking. And that might be enough to cause that individual to, to start to act and react from that shadow. What are you talking about, right? They might start to get defensive and hostile and reactive. Of course I do. You know, what the hell's wrong with you? What, what do you mean I don't want to stop drinking? And so then you can start to work with their shadow real time because you're, you're sort of in communion, in conversation with their shadow real, real time. So there's a couple different ways to do it. But the, the real, the, like the, the first step is getting into contact with the shadow, whether you provoke it and you sort of bring it out and then you start to work with it real time or you start to unearth what is hidden from that individual. So yeah, those, those would be the two ways that I would sort of navigate that. Yeah. And I mean, I feel inclined in the moment to kind of put in a, like almost a kind of disclaimer, not disclaimer or a warning mm -hmm. of sorts to, you know, uh, Don't do that. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's delicate waters, right? I mean, I think that there's a, there's a, there's a step there, like, you know, what I'm sure you do, you know, and with the men in the Alliance, like, you know, just to be part of, you know, to be around somebody like yourself, um, that is modeling it for years, really, and just mm -hmm. kind of getting because it's so nuanced, right? Like to be able to create the um, the safety, but at the same time, the insight to mm -hmm. be able to actually facilitate something productive and not just have the man kind of kind of close down and feel like, you know, he's being um, called out and uh, mm -hmm. In, in a way that's that harkens back to you know past and then just avoids it, it, it's kind of it avoids it's it counterproductive entirely. right then he yeah. avoids any future men you know oh yeah i went to this one you know men's group and they were just challenging each other and you know yeah you know being pseudo psychologists with each other and and that's and, and that's what happens right i think that's part of the that can happen in some of these spaces. You know, I know a few groups that that do that, and it's not always beneficial, right? Challenge and provoking the shadow is probably, I mean, I would say that's less used than navigating to the source of what's causing that behavior, of what that individual has been hiding, repressing, rejecting. Uh, denying about themselves. That's the real essence of the shadow. And so, you know, I would say that maybe, maybe 15% of the time, maybe 20% of the time, I'll leverage provoking the shadow. But I know that there are some men's groups that that's their, and maybe women's groups as well, but like that's their primary method, you know, it's just provoke, 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 confront, confront, confront. And that's, that isn't always the necessary tool. You know, the shadow is, oftentimes built and formed in 
these very sensitive moments in our lives where we are deeply wounded, you know, deeply embarrassed. We feel like we don't belong. We're, we're really othered from the people that are around us. And so, you know, eight, nine times out of 10, what's more effective is to start to use a sort of, as Gabor Mate says, compassionate inquiry to start to search for what caused the repression in the first place. So what might be getting repressed or hidden or rejected or avoided? And then what what was the sort of origin of that wound in the first place? Because then you can start to work with the healing. What needed to be said in that moment? How did you need to be protected in that moment? What would it look like if this part of you was on display? What's the threat that you think is going to happen? You know, in your relationship, if you actually admitted that you were lonely to the men in your life, to your wife, to your partner, what do you think would actually happen? So starting to bring this unconscious content out of the darkness and into conscious reference so that the individual, you become a, a, a guide in a way to help them uh, you know, bring some of this unconscious content out into the conscious mind so that they can witness it, they can observe it, they can work with it, and they have somebody there that's able to navigate that process with them um, in generally in a way where where they can integrate it, right? Because the process of integration, well, the the etymology of integration is to make whole, to make complete. That's the original meaning of integrating it comes from the word integrare right so that's the that's the mission of shadow work is to reclaim it's a reclamation process of the psychological emotional aspects of ourselves that we've discarded that we've told ourselves are not valuable are not worthy uh, and sometimes these are really important parts of our psyche of our identity you know things like assertiveness things like our boundaries, you know, things like our anger or our grief that we have convinced ourselves through the years are not valuable aspects of ourselves that we've that we've sort of thrown into sometimes I call it the hurt locker or the refuse bin of of the shadow and we don't want to go near and we don't want to touch but in order to be a, a more individuated whole person we have to bring some of those things to the forefront. So yeah, I'll, I'll pause there, and I'm sure that you have something to add to that. Well, I, I uh, the main thing I kind of wanted to highlight in all of that is the power of doing it in a group. Because as I see, mm -hmm. you know, uh, leading men's groups for years too, like I, as I see it, there's there's some individuals that are kind of like you know, for whatever reason, um, are 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 a slow bake, meaning like they they come into a men's group and just witnessing and just just starting to actually vicariously experience uh the expression of loneliness and grief and these parts of themselves that they that they have denied and repressed and felt unsafe to express mm -hmm. um it just it slowly starts to give them permission and i just think that there's a there's this beauty in in that that cross-pollination cross-inspiration that happens between men yeah, I yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think um you know, I usually say to men the first thing you need to understand about any internal work or men's work is that it's not linear. It's not a linear process. And you know, I think that that I I hope that you know if if men are that are listening to this take anything away this is that healing is non-linear. 
we want it to be, you know, I'll do X and then I'll do Y and then I'll do Z and then I'll get this outcome. Uh, but that almost is never the process. So that's the first piece. And then I think the second piece is that healing is not meant to happen in isolation. It's not meant to happen in isolation. It truly is meant to happen in a communal way. You know, your grief, your sorrow, your pain is best metabolized when witnessed. You know, there is something very potent about, and it's and it's the thing that we often least want to do. You know, most guys don't want to sit around with a group of men and have those men hear about their past or about their pain or their trauma or their abuses or whatever it is, their failures, etc. Most men have bought into that um, lone wolf mentality that I should be able to figure this out by myself. And if I can't, then I am somehow inherently less of a man because of it. And so we are almost against like a getting out of that false notion. And I think a lot of men have, I think a lot of men are moving out of that space, but yeah, healing is meant to happen communally. And when we give ourselves permission to enter into those spaces where suddenly you see the thing that you've been hiding, right? Your, the pain from your abuse or your abandonment or your neglect in another man and his story and his journey, albeit, you know, the circumstances are, are wildly different, but you can see in his eyes that the pain is almost identical. There is a release and a relief in that to know that you are not somehow this solitary individual out of 7.4 billion people that has, that is carrying this pain, you know, that's carrying this specific form of suffering. So yeah, get into groups. <laughs> get into groups because you'll see yeah. your shadow you'll be like oh shit i i do the same thing i think the same things like damn okay you know it's it's like you start to see your own reactivities your own perceived inferiorities and insecurities within other people and there's a liberation in that that is uh hard to describe you know outside of just experiencing it Truly, right? Well, it's like a, it's a uh, unburdening of this, of that isolation, uh, the oppressiveness of of self, mm. right? Like I'm the only one, you know. Which, right? That it is hard to describe, but it's, it's a welcome relief when it happens. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> um, so we just have a few minutes left here, Connor. Is there is there anything else you want to share to the audience um, before we jump to wind down? Mm, just anything yeah just anything anything that's really alive for you that's on your heart or on your mind these days yeah oh man that's a (laughs) 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 that's a that's a big question yeah i mean okay i'll narrow it down a little bit about relationship in particular Mm. about long-term uh, monogamous relationship because that's a lot of what this uh, this podcast is about is supporting folks navigating the trials and tribulations of that endeavor. Yeah, well, I would say that shadow work is arguably one of the most important things that you can do for your relationship because you'll start to see your side of the equation. You'll start to see your patterns of sabotage, of breakdown, of reactivity. Um, you'll start to see your contribution to the my wife calls them relational tears, right? She's a marriage and family therapist. And um, 
So you'll start to see how you are contributing to, in subtle ways and maybe not so subtle ways, the erosion of intimacy or communication. And it's in that space that you can start to reclaim your own sense of sovereignty, but also with that, your your sense of intimacy within the relationship. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that I that I've learned, my wife and I have taught quite a few workshops for couples now, and we always talk about intimacy and you know the the root i'm i'm giving a lot of etymology today but i i think it's important uh the root of intimacy is intimus and intimus the greek word originally meant innermost and so my belief my way of being is that we must go innermost into ourselves first and foremost to have any hope of real intimacy with another and and that ideally we find somebody who's willing to do that sometimes all the time with themselves as well and if we can go innermost with ourselves and we can see our desires we can see our wants we can see our needs and we can bring those things forward and we can voice them and we can sort of expose ourselves dose ourselves with the risk of transparency because it is a risk sometimes and we can dose ourselves with the risk of being witnessed and being seen and being understood being heard then intimacy is not only possible but probable and so i think that that's what i would just leave people with um and yeah i mean i think you know i have a i have a shadow work course that i've a, a lot of people have gone through so i think if there's people that are wanting to dive more into that they can they can check that out is that um, for men and women thing. yeah it's for everybody Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And I did want to ask earlier, just because um, I'm curious about your take, like, why, why the division? I mean, it's moose, you know, why do men's groups? Why do, why, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, I think because in some ways it's necessary, you know, I've, I've seen the, the potency and the, the power that can happen for men. I think that there are fewer spaces on average for men to do inner work and healing um, and develop more robust systems of self-awareness than there, than there are on, on average for women. I think there's a lot of beautiful spaces for women. And honestly, it's, it's maybe no more of a reason than it's what I, it's what I truly felt called to do. Um, and I don't think I have much explanation outside of the intuition, the the sort of magnetic intuitional pull of go and do this, okay. you know, a sort of like listening to God, universe, life, however you want to say that intuition of just go, go do this. And that's, that served me well. You know, there's a arguably one of my other favorite quotes is uh, the, the rational mind is a faithful servant and the intuitive mind is a sacred gift. And we've created a culture that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. And that's, that's Albert Einstein. And so I think for me, it really was just a follow the intuition of this is what needs, this is what maybe not needs to be done, but this is what needs to be done by me for now. And maybe one day that will change. Yeah. If, yeah. if, if, if intuition directs you somewhere in a different direction. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just kind of tying it all together. I mean, my best, my best effort. Um, you know, I just see, you know, the 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 power of this this kind of men's work to be able to uh, set a set a man up to be able to enter into into relationship 
in a way that is uh, is is both like like supported, meaning he's not he's not he's not coming he's he's not which is which can happen a lot. Right? He's not coming into a relationship looking for all of his um, emotional and relational needs to be met through that relationship. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he's also able to bring uh, an awareness, like you said, an, an intimacy with with his with his shadow, so that he can actually answer the question that most women want to know, like what's going on, mm-hmm. and actually have an answer, mm-hmm. um, which is a game changer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's got to be. I mean, I remember it being incredibly frustrating for me as a man when former partners would ask me that question and i just genuinely didn't know right it was incredibly frustrating it was like i don't know i don't know what's yeah. happening i know that i'm yeah. angry and i know that i'm volatile and i know that i feel out of control mm-hmm. but that's it that's all i have you know it's just a larger question mark and that was infuriating like infuriating you know and a part of me really wanted to be able to have a more robust answer to what's going on within myself <laughs> you know it's right. like that's that's sovereignty that's self-leadership you know i think um that's choice like i talked about at the beginning of the podcast is being able to say actually this is what's happening Mm -hmm. within me or i'm not sure right now but i have the tools to figure it out beautiful right freedom freedom in that space then i'm free as a man i'm not a hundred percent sure but i know i have the tools to figure it out and i'll and i will figure it out it's like or i have the network I have the connection. I have the community. I have the other men that can mirror back what might be going on, you know? So, yeah. Well, really appreciating you, Connor, for all you've done to create those, those spaces for, for men in particular and, and all, all folks to, to learn about who they really are and uh, bring that into the world and their relationships. It's a, it's a real gift. Mm. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. It was great. So I'll put your um, your links in the show notes for folks out there to um, check out that shadow course and and the alliance. Cool and uh, great resources for for folks. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Connor. So that was Connor Beaton. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to him and uh, our conversation. Found it really rich and uh, really appreciate the work he does in the world. And if you want to find out more about him join his community pass him on or pass his uh his offering on to men in your life you can find him at mantalks.com as well as his podcast is excellent man talks podcast and i'm looking forward to the the next conversations we're going to have over the course of the season with different different people in the in the world of men's work People working hard to uh, support men to to heal to to thrive in relationship. All right, till our next episode.